So welcome, this is the Conscious Leaders Podcast and I'm your host, Ruth Franger. I interview leaders on this podcast who have a particularly strong philosophy, one that stands out from the crowd, and they've got ways and practices that stand out too. So we explore that and find out how that works. I couldn't be more excited to share with you this episode with Andy Woodfield. He's a partner at PwC and he's been there for 22 years. He brings a refreshingly upfront and candid approach. He's particularly interested in people bringing their uniqueness to work and actually being able to be the same person at home as we are at work. Indeed, he's finishing a book on this subject called This Is Your Moment on just that. And I absolutely loved meeting him. I felt like we connected instantly and that gives you a bit of an insight into the type of person he is. He dives right in. I started by asking him how he got to where he is now. I was never like academically brilliant at school. That was my my sister's job. Um, I was more a practical person. So I, there was never any, um, there was never really any suggestion I was going to university. And um, so I, I left school as an apprentice and did engineering design, which I loved. I always loved to draw stuff. Um, and I guess I just got into work. I, I felt like I had to work. I, I, I've got lots of cousins and people that I know that seem to stay at home forever and not really worrying about work. But my folks seemed to get something into my head, which meant that I knew that as soon as I finished school, I had to work, which scared the hell out of me. Um, so I did. I went to work. I worked for a design agency for Jaguar, did an apprenticeship, went to college one day a week. I was on the original youth training scheme, the YTS, which my sister said was for thickos. <laughs> which I do remind her of now um, when I'm buying her lunch somewhere nice in London. Um, and I heard something the other day that said that YTS might be coming back again. And it was brilliant for me because my employer got um, got some money from the government. I got a job and I got to start to work very in a very practical way, which was really good for, for me. I, wasn't, I could never really study. I wanted to try things. Mm. Um, yeah, so I just got into design and technology, went between different jobs, um, eventually moved to London um, where any provincial gays have to go to London it's the law um, otherwise you're not allowed to complain about life unless you went to the big city so I moved to London with my first ever gay friend um, I got a job in the city working in dealing room technology and then did that for a couple of years and then joined PwC doing cyber security and hacking into banks which was great fun and then got into the firm building relationships leading clients so I just I kind of always moved towards the work that I loved with people that I enjoyed working with as much as I could obviously I spent a lot of time working with people I didn't like doing work that I hated but I tried to move myself towards that work that I loved and, and I ended up um, eventually after two marriages I should say one really because my mum thinks I only had one um after two marriages Hi, yeah. Yeah. Uh, after two marriages I really wanted to do something more that, that was good for my soul and I moved into our government practice and then moved into international development space where where I am now where we are genuinely trying to help the poorest people in the world um, change their lives and, and change the economies in some developing countries and learn as much from that as we can to bring it back to the UK Mm, wow. And you've been at PwC quite a while, so something must be working kind of well for you there. Yeah, I think PwC's, it, PwC is like um, a collection of entrepreneurs, really. You know, so if you, you know, 
if you can build a team that enjoy working with you and are, will, and are happy to be led by you and you are happy to be led in the middle of them, if you like, and you can find clients that enjoy working with you and you can add value on their journey, then you build, a, then you build business. Um, and eventually you become a partner because you're building relationships with clients, you're building relationships inside the firm, you're delivering money into the firm, and you're delivering value in the market. So it's, I mean, there's a lot of people get really wound up about, oh, how do I become a partner? It's, like, it's actually quite simple. Mm. Try to be a nice person, build teams that love working with you, and where you deliver value to them and their careers, and build value with your clients. Simple. Mm. So that comes naturally to you. It, 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 it sounds simple, those things, don't they? But, um, but, it, but it's interesting when we watch people. And I, and I guess because this podcast is about kind of conscious leadership and about your philosophy, what kind of philosophy do you bring to that leadership when you're leading your team, working with clients? What, what is that about for you? Do you have any kind of um, purpose with it or, or kind of direction that that comes from inside you? Yeah, I mean, I, I have to be doing something that I think is fabulous in order to be bothered to get out of bed. Like I can't come to work uh, just to be average or to do what's always been done. I find that really difficult. I'm not. I'm not good at uh, op- you know the operationalizing of everything and just mm. doing the same again and again. I get way too bored. Um, so I always come to work on the premise that I want to change the world. And I, you know, and it sounds really ridiculous, but it's really. Tr- I mean, it's really true. It's what drives me. I want to do something amazing. So when I ran our sales and marketing function in the UK, I absolutely was clear from day one, this has to be world class. I want us to be the best sales and marketing function of all of the PwC firms around the world. I want to. I want us to win awards in the marketplace, et cetera, et cetera. And we did. Um, you know, when I um, come back into our consulting business, as I have done now, to lead our account with the Foreign and Commonwealth Office and DFID and bring those two departments together, um, yeah, I want it to be an example of how to run a big global account. So I always want, I always start with slightly ridiculous ambition um, to change the world or to to create something which is the world's example. And it kind of sounds, I mean, as I vocalise that, I hear myself saying that. I realise how how insane I probably sound, but that motivates me to go to work. Um, so you start with a big vision with your, yeah, your new I, team because if you're moving about, I guess you're coming in. So you come in with a bit of a bang, would you say, if you're taking on a new team? Yeah. Or how does that? Someone said to me, um, okay. someone said to me, oh, so and so met you the other day, and she said shock and awe. I'm like, what are you, what are you talking about? <laughs> so I mean, it's a good start. <laughs> um, yeah, I like to create energy. Yeah. And and movement. I love movement over perfection. Mm-hmm. So I think if you're moving, you can learn and and keep moving and keep the momentum. So I, I love the idea of, of creating a vision and having a North Star to aim for and, and then letting people get there how they need to get there. Um, so I suppose the other thing that really drives me is a, a sense of, um, well, I've always had a strong sense because my folks had their own business and you know my, the first business I started was when I was about six years old selling bacon sandwiches to the mechanics that worked in my mum and dad's garage using bread that my mum had bought <laughs> and bacon that she'd bought. And then I was cutting grass using my mum's lawnmower with, with like the old ladies in our village. And so the philosophy I always had was, 
um, why would I pay someone to work for me or with me and then do their job for them? So I always felt strongly that my job was to find great people that were better than me at things that I wasn't good at and could push me in my areas of strength mm. and then to give them my support so they could be the best they could be and, and let them do their job and make them do their job. Mm. Um, not hope that, that I don't like a strategy of hope I like a strategy of action mm. um, so not so very much veering away from any kind of micromanagement or yeah, yeah. you do get that a lot don't you you get that out there that, that, and it's yeah. tempting you know I've done it seen it it's to, to keep your hands off is kind of a challenge yeah sometimes. I mean I like to set how does that happen? so my I guess my way of working is set a north star make it something fabulous that you genuinely would be proud of and when you look back on your life it needs to be on your list of things you're really proud of not like yeah I went to Tesco's or Sainsbury's today like it has to be actually I rebuilt Fortnum and Mason you know it has to be something remarkable and then um, I like to set principles you know three or four principles of how you might get to your North Star and I like that to be quite uh, prescriptive um, that these are kind of the kind of the standards of how we would work together. Then how you want to get to where you need to get to is up to you. Hmm. But so these I, like behaviours or values or. Um, so they're kind of they're a bit they're a bit of both really. Um, it's probably I hate the idea of behaviours. I feel like you know behavioural change and setting behaviours in a work context only only really works with people on the autistic spectrum in which case it would cover quite a lot of the people I work with um, or it works with dogs um, or children under the age of four I think it works quite well with uh, so I think telling people how to behave is not really cool um, I think it's more about you know what are the core things that are really important so like inclusion is really important to me that you know so I had a within sales and marketing had a thing about inclusion by default so it's not a debate it's default so we're not going to talk about diversity and inclusion it's got to be done there's no debate about it um i'm i'm not doing you know what's the business case nonsense it has to be done that business um, case has been done a number so, of yeah. times it's it? like enough talking <laughs> so, action needs yeah. to happen um you know being very commercially focused is a principle i would always set um you know we're a commercial business so whatever you're doing you know great we want to change the world make the world a better place but we also need to make money because you know everyone's got to pay rent and pay mortgages and pay their monthly on their car or whatever and you know we've got some nice offices need to be paid for as well so we need to do work that creates revenue is commercially viable um, and that work needs to be work that we're really proud of and does create a change in society so that I don't and I don't think they're mutually exclusive so it's more that those kind of principles sort of the guide it. yeah and then you know if you can get to the goal applying those principles you know do you know do what needs to be done um, but I think I think people need from leaders uh, the space to operate and then they need to support to support them in that space that they're operating in mm. support and space two good words mm. and you talked about inclusion there and Obviously, this is hugely topical at the moment with Black Lives Matter. Um, it, it feels like it's been uh, neglected in business when women in tech has been very high profile. How much change has happened, I don't know. But 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 for um, BAME people, for people of colour, less so. And 
Um, I know previously we talked about how um, diversity is sort of reasonably easy to build. A PwC can attract diverse people, but getting them to better collaborate well is is more of a challenge. And I wonder whether you could talk to that a bit about how you've gone about building truly inclusive teams. It's not just about diversity, but it's about what does that look like? How do you even begin to really help people who are potentially initially pulling in very different directions with very different views? What does that look like? I mean, I think, I mean, first thing I would probably say on that is that I think most organisations are inevitably heading to more diverse looking organisations. And the big fear I've always had is that you can look as diverse as you want so long as you behave the same way, ideally as a straight white man, um, then, yeah. then, then you can be successful. Right. You know, so that's, that's, I think, that's my main concern. I still think most organisations are still heading towards diverse looking. Um, and then what, I guess what I learned relatively recently is that diverse looking does not mean inclusive. And even, um, you know, diversity and unleashing all that difference also doesn't lead to inclusion it what actually leads to is anarchy and as a leader it's a nightmare i mean there are many times um so i you know i picked up the sales and marketing leadership role and i had the opportunity to build a new leadership team so i deliberately built a diverse leadership team people from different parts of the country different educational backgrounds different ages different genders different different ethnic backgrounds um, different sexualities etc etc so it's probably the most diverse leadership team that we have in the firm and um, from a sales and marketing perspective in terms of our competitors probably the most still the most diverse Um, now I, I did that because I've got a big mouth and I've been talking about diversity for years so given the opportunity I think it's important for leaders also to put their money where their mouth is and do the work and create the leadership team and what I realized was the single biggest factor to having a diverse leadership team was my desire to have one um, so um, I did have one and within six months but then it was a nightmare because just because you're different doesn't mean you're inclusive it just means that you care about yourself in a different way um so trying to encourage everyone to respect all those differences and work together in a way that's effective was my challenge as a leader and what i what i realized is that that firstly inclusion doesn't naturally follow diversity and those organizations that are still trying to be diverse have got a a rude awakening coming because they're going to find it leads to anarchy or you make everyone act the same way, in which case it's a waste of time anyway. Back to the and you'll, white man. Yeah, and you'll lose all the good people. Mm. Um, so what, what the reality is that leaders need to change the way they lead. And leaders need to be the advocates of forgiveness and tolerance and vulnerability and a whole load of things that a lot of leaders are not particularly naturally good at. Um, and you have to help your leaders at all levels be more tolerant and accepting of different ways of working, different styles of working, and encourage them every day to seek the good intention behind that really irritating behavior of your colleague. Mm. <laughs> and that becomes the real priority to, to really continue to knit everything together and respect the different ways of working and the different views, because that, after all, is what everyone talks about really wanting. The reality is, when you get it, you really don't want it, because it's really annoying. You just want everyone to agree with you or to agree you with... Get on with it. Well, yeah, or just agree with one way of doing things. And please just head in that direction. I don't care what direction it is anymore. Yeah. Just go together somewhere. Yeah. And and you really 
the danger is you really go in every direction in an unhelpful way and do you have like an example of how that like plays out in a meeting and you know it sounds like what you're talking about is self-awareness and an ability to kind of self-manage and regulate and and understand the perceptions and behaviors of others as different to yours and maybe better or the same or whatever just different and how can you put them yourself maybe in their shoes or whatever and I wondered how like is that are you doing that through one-to-one coaching of your leaders are you doing that by facilitating a certain type style of conversation like to get under the hood of what a leadership mm. team meeting is like where maybe it wasn't very good at keeping people on the same page or going in the same direction to w- what has really gone on and how like how do you even start to tackle that i think the first thing is you have to understand that everybody's lived experience is different even two straight white men's lived experience is different um but if you look at the uh sort of black female male kind of population within business their experience is very specifically different from a from a white colleague's experience so like everybody can do with trying to be open-minded and learning a bit about everybody else's lived experience um and just because you might like you know i'm a gay white male just because i'm gay white male does not mean i'm more inclusive or more aware of everyone else's lived experiences than anyone else in the same way as a, a female black colleague is no more inclusive than anybody else so everybody needs to learn about the lived experiences of other people and respect the fact that everyone has a different lived experience and their experience is their truth that is absolutely true to them it's not right or wrong you know they haven't missed something that you can now educate them on so you just need to understand that everyone's different um and i think you know where we are at the moment is that um white men and women are being uh, encouraged to be more open-minded to look at unconscious bias and to educate themselves um in order that they can understand how to better leverage non-white folks i think the reality is everybody needs to continue to educate themselves and be aware that everybody um, is different Um, and if you want to bring everyone together you have to keep doing that i mean clearly there's a massive gap at the moment and has been for for centuries in terms of white and non-white and the system has been built around a white male model Um, so that needs to be fixed and addressed and we need to stop talking about it and start doing stuff to get those barriers pulled down but what are you doing because it sounds like what you're saying is that you're wanting people to be kind of curious, interested in others. Like, how does that, I mean, maybe you have an example, maybe there's something in a meeting. What does that actually look like? How do you do that with individuals? Maybe there is, you know, people who've been particularly, like, fixed in their ways. Like, what would you do with someone like that who's um, not really getting, getting? Well, so we, like, put people on um, mandatory uh, reverse mentoring for, like, over a year. So they'll have to spend an hour a month with someone different grade to them, different ethnic background, different gender to them. And they will go through a structured program where that younger person educates them on their own lived experience. And that does wonders for your inclusiveness and your understanding that actually your life, your lived experience is totally different from theirs. So if you want to lead that kind of person, you need to think in a completely different way in order to engage them. Because what you think is motivating is probably not motivating to them and that's a big wake-up call to a lot of senior leaders in particular so that's one thing the other thing i think is as a leader 
within a leadership team, it's important to call out behavior and to help in a constructive, positive way, um, sometimes in the moment, but sometimes quickly after the moment to say, look, this is what was going on here. Um, there's a different way of doing this. So I remember a situation in particular where um, two colleagues, one was much more of a process action focused person, one was much more of a creative person, and were just knocking heads constantly. And the action sort of uh, focused person said to me, I just can't believe she's just not listening to me. Um, and the creative person said to me, I just don't understand it. I don't know what the problem is. Uh, and so I, I chatted to, and they're both really fantastic people, and I really like them and loved working with both of them. And I was like, why can't they get on? Like, I really value and respect both of them for different reasons. I don't understand why these two people don't like each other. Uh, I'll reflect on my friend circle, and I know I've got lots of friends that hate each other. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so I kind of got that. So I was chatting to the, the lady who um, was more of a process person, and I said to her, tell me exactly what you said. Um, so she, her intention was to get clarity on like A, B, and C. Uh, so I said, well, tell me what, what, was, what did you actually say? And she danced around the handbag so much that she never said anything about A, B, and C. She was off on X, Y, and Z, like completely different direction because she was trying not to upset the other person. She was trying to be professional. She was trying to be polite. But in her efforts to not be confrontational, not to be rude, to be professional and to try to be a decent person, she sent a really confusing message that was, was incomprehensible. So no surprise, the other person didn't hear it. And so the response she got, having sent that confusing message, was the other person's not listening. They don't listen to me. Why don't they listen? And the like, increasing volume on this not listening. And then what the other person received was a really confusing message. So they didn't even hear what was said. So you know, my job was to say, look, you're much better saying exactly what you want to say. Stop dressing it up. Stop being scared that you're going to upset someone. If your intention is good, trust your intention and then get it out even if you say look this is not working this is not working this is amazing you're really rubbish at this like just get it out your if your intention is good and you know your intention is good you can say pretty much anything and you'll you know you can apologize afterwards but you just check your intention first and then get the message out you know so she tried this the other person's like oh i had no idea that's what you really meant yeah of course we can do that Probably. suddenly it's dealt with and it just it I just found it amazing that, especially at a leadership level, I think there's a lot of pressure to be very professional, mm. to be very together, to mm. be very well presented and very articulate. Kind of. mm. Yeah, and there's a huge expectation on, I think, a lot of younger female leaders as well to be totally on it. Mm. It's like, just breathe. I mean, breathe is my most consistent bit of feedback to anybody. Please just breathe. Breathing's good. It helps you to stay alive, but it also helps to sort of settle things down. And just say what you mean. Um, you know, it's pretty simple. Mm. And it sounds like some of that, when we're a little bit mixed up in our problems at work or whatever, it, our intention can be a bit clouded because it yeah. can be like, I just want to bloody get this done or I just want to finish this project and deliver it because it's been hanging around for yeah. six months and the client's bloody nightmare, whatever it is. So... So that intention can sort of be clouded into just like, I just want to 
steam through this problem and i wondered how much whether you think the breathing um helps us figure out what our intention is that this kind of pausing like what and whether that your support helps with that people get clear i think you need a leader i certainly appreciate a leader who isn't trying to find out who's wrong Mm. this way- is about like who said she said yeah, yeah. Like, there's way too many leaders that are just busy trying to find out well who's wrong and then who do i need to tell to fix it so hang on a minute how about everybody's right um and and let's assume positive intention on all sides and that we could move uh, together forwards uh, and look at how we're communicating because surely Everybody wants to go to that North Star and surely everyone's abiding by the principles that we all agreed. Oh, right? Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. So therefore, how could we disagree? Mm. You know, let's have a conversation about that, shall we? You know, um, so I think rather than trying to pick sides and work out who's wrong, you know, the, and the worst thing is to make it like a personal issue between mm. two individuals. And that, again, that seems to be a very lazy leadership style to say, okay, you, Andy, have got a problem with this person. You need to fix this problem. It's like, well, actually, what if that person's like an axe murderer? Like, is that my problem? Just because I don't like the fact they're an axe murderer. How about we deal with the fact they're an axe murderer? You know, Mm -hmm. because I'm the only one who knows they're an axe murderer. It doesn't mean I'm the problem. Yeah. You know, um, maybe a little extreme as an example. um, There are a few axe murderers in business, I think. Yes. So I think more and more the more different types of people we have in organizations the more we want to unlock that potential of those different types of people the more leaders have got to step up um, and be more inclusive and be more tolerant and spend more time getting to know people and getting to bring people together and not you know pressing the red button and panicking all the time and you know you've, i think you've got to be more of a human leader accept your own mistakes your be vulnerable yourself um, and learn and be comfortable with your own failure in order to cultivate that culture of failure as part of success as opposed to the opposite of success and then keep that dialogue going and then you know people can screw up all the time but you like work together and you keep moving forward Mm. so I'm getting the impression that you know you mentioned vulnerability a couple of times and I I, it strikes me a really interesting word it has a little bit of a recoil for some people even the word Um, and I find it quite interesting and I wonder because I'm just going to challenge you a little bit you know at your level it's easy to be vulnerable isn't it because you're you kind of made it so you can be like oh I did this wrong and that wrong and and I wonder whether for those maybe in middle or just senior management when they're really fighting for their position and there's all these people around them and you know I'm not saying it's a very competitive environment but no doubt there are places where it feels like there's only so many promotions going around and I wonder whether how easy that is for people to show their weaknesses i mean I, that's what it's about right vulnerability it's about yeah i mean i think I, I i didn't suddenly become comfortable with vulnerability because i was successful mm. and i don't know how successful i've really been uh, i feel like i'll do all right um you do all right yeah <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, we're just sat here in yeah. a nice place looking out into the harbouring pool <laughs> um, yeah I'd do alright but you know yeah. there's more. there are more things I want to achieve um, I think it, it, for me it goes back to when I was a kid like my sister is like totally academically brilliant um, 
and she could do she could have done anything in the end she chose a very straightforward life and she runs a motorbike shop and she runs a local cub camp and you know she does stuff that she and she's very happy doing that she could have done she could have been an astronaut um, whereas like, i was not academically gifted so i was wrong to start with you know and then i had a relationship with a woman for three and a half years so I, then i really knew i was wrong you know <laughs> Um, because that's the basic premise of a relationship, you know, that just as a bloke, you're just wrong, which is fine. Um, so I was always comfortable with being wrong. Um, and I like I liked that. I realised that it was a real strength in probably being wrong, because in being wrong, you have a licence to learn and to be curious and to make mistakes. And, you know, pe if you're, you know, if you, and, and this is where I feel... Um, slightly bad for about three seconds for people that are academically gifted went to the best universities had the best of everything um because so all your pwc graduates then. <laughs> <laughs> well luckily these you know these days we have graduates and apprentices from many many different backgrounds um as well as you know some of the greatest universities are, you know however you define great um so i you know i've i've always felt that um being knowing that there was that you were probably wrong uh, meant that you could learn and develop and and find new ways and people are more likely to share stuff with you um, and engage with you because you're not encumbered by this need to be right all the time and most of my colleagues that went to the best universities best schools whatever what have you have always been right mm. they've always been top of the class they were the head boy head girl at these awful places where you have to stay there at, at boarding school and do all the fun things in the dormitories that i never got to do which i'm not resentful for at all <laughs> um you know so they you know they had these wonderful lives and then all the, everyone went to amazing universities and seemed to just have sex and drink all the time while i was working which again i'm not resentful for at all um but you know they've always been right because they were the top of everything and then we recruited them because they were the top of everything. But now, now they've got to hold on to being right all the time. What an awful burden, you know. And for many of our clients, you know, that it translates sometimes to arrogance and quite a repellent kind of leadership um, uh, style, if you like. That it doesn't always make you naturally attractive person to want to share stuff with if you're someone that always has to be right. Um, so I think what we learn as a firm that you need really academically gifted people and you need people that are not academically gifted, but they're able to bring people together mm. um, and learn and share and be vulnerable. Um, so my, I guess my vulnerability comes and my comfort with my vulnerability comes from my comfort with being wrong because I know I can find the answer somewhere and it might be in somebody else who's academically gifted or not. Um, so I, that's kind of how I see vulnerability is more about not being wedded to the idea of being right or being wedded to the idea that my way is the only way or that uh, that my answer is the only answer or my experience is the only experience because i might think well why don't we do that but you know let's talk about other ways of doing it because i'm probably you know i could be wrong mm. i've been wrong loads that's quite freeing of, oh, i mean just hearing amazing. you say that yeah if you were you know running the team or whatever Say, it's really refreshing you know, I think. one way or we could do it 10 other ways yeah. let's hear what people have to say but let's be clear we are moving and we are going to go somewhere um in the next three minutes so get yourself together because you know now's your time to contribute now like if you're always obsessed with being right 
you've got to go in and think about it, you've got to prepare, you've got to, you know, because you don't want to be wrong. It's like, oh, no, nobody's got time for that these days. So it's like, you know. Just air an idea. And get, like, get it out. Like, and who cares? If, I mean, I really believe strongly, and I forget whoever said this first, but I really believe that failure is part of success. It's not the opposite of it. I, I really think that's such a, that statement has always really resonated with me that mm. if you're not prepared to fail, you're not ever going to do anything exciting. The trick is to be close to that failure and move and adapt really quickly. Don't sit in it and wallow in it. And then, yeah. you know, there are areas where you can't fail. But I think it's an important part of success. Mm. And that, and again, I, is a vulnerability thing, I think. And I wonder what, when people come to your team for the first time, I don't know if they've been led like this before. But is there a bit of an adjustment where they come in like, I've got all the answers, like, here we go. And in your light, right, so it's a little bit different here. We're all... Yeah, I mean, I've had, it, I've had situations where, yeah, I'm talking to a team about a new piece of work and they're like, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, people tell leaders whatever they want to hear. Mm, they think and people are really, I mean, people are so good at that. And you th- like, I think I'm really good at smelling that and like, oh, no, I can, I can sense that and I stop it. But... No, it's not, you call it's it not out. true. I no, well, I I think I do, but people are really good at it. Um, and what what I notice is sometimes people will go away, and and then they've gone away, and I'm like, well, where's the where's the work? You know, where you know what are you doing? And they're like, they they can be off perfecting it, and perfecting it, and perfecting it endlessly. And I like, I want to see it. I want to see how you're doing. Like, what where where's the idea gone? Let's, you know, I'm happy to have a look at it overnight or something. Um, maybe, you know, we use loads of collaboration software. Like, why don't you share the document with me while you're working on it? And I'll have a look. You know, uh, and I'm going to get in the way of your work, but it'd be nice to see how your thinking's going. Mm-hmm. And if you're going, you know, totally in the wrong direction, I might, you know, I can add a little comment and say, have you thought about this and this? Um, but, you know, there's, I guess, the difference some people find in working with me is that I that I do want to see what's going on like a bit of transparency there yeah in order that I can be confident at that things are going towards the North Star mm. not towards the South Pole mm. and because sometimes people you know sometimes people go away and work on the same age and they come back and you think oh my god you know we'll be in a different meeting yeah because so you want to check that kind of yeah understanding and it's for that it's for everybody's benefit because mm. it's awful if you come back and you're like no that's complete rubbish and that's not what i wanted mm. so this kind of i mean i get a really strong impression from you that there's a lot of candor there there's a lot of like let's be upfront you know let's really get our ideas out let's be action oriented but like let's give each other feedback about mm. what's working what's not um and then you know you talked about that situation with the two people that didn't um, get on very well is there any other sort of behaviours of people that have just been poor that you're like right I need to deal with this and, and how do you do it well how long have you got <laughs> go on let me get out of my book um, dig into the hood here you know like what, let's make this real um, well there's a couple of things firstly I think I would say um, I think it's important to say what you think as soon as possible try not to criticise the person criticise the work um so you know i've worked with a lot of creative people over the years and you know i started my life as an engineer and a designer and i have and i'm a virgo and i'm gay so like i've got an opinion about how things look um and it's probably and that's probably wrong and not lined up properly um 
you know, so if someone presents something to me and it just looks awful, I'm, I'm going to say, look, I hate it. I will say I hate it. I say it's bloody ugly and that's not going anywhere. It looks like somebody's A-level project. And I can't see the content through a vile design. Like it needs to be professional. It needs to be well executed. Um, and people have said to me, oh, you can't say that because you upset everyone. I'm like, I'm not, I think, I'm not saying that their entire life's a mistake. <laughs> you know? I'm not trying to eat their firstborn child. Mm. I'm saying that piece of work didn't meet my expectation for this reason. And I hate it because <laughs> mm. I do hate it. And, and then I will work with them to get it fixed. So what do you um, say next after you said they hate? I'm, I'm just putting myself in their shoes. I am feeling mildly hurt. Now you've said my presentation's a bit rubbish. But what happens next? Because how, how do you bring me on board? Well, I, you know, I kind of make it clear that I do, you know, I love them and I know they can do more. And why don't we work together and I'll show you what I really mean. And probably the reason I hate it is probably because I'm an idiot and I didn't explain it properly. So there's probably a good reason why I hate it. Um, and, you know, if there's something else in there that I just, you know, maybe there's something in there that I'm not aware of that I need to know about. So I always kind of put, I'm like, look, first reaction is I hate it. But let me, let's understand that. But I don't, there's no point in me dancing around saying, yeah, well, I kind of, you know, when someone says, well, yes, and have you thought, you know, just know they hate it. You just know they hate it. I just say you hate it. Or when someone says, yeah, I think we violently agree, you know, no, actually you hate me. We, we disagree completely. Mm. So just be honest about it. Like, you know, we, work is called work for a reason. It's not called holiday, right? So it's like, we're at work. We're trying to create some amazing outcomes. Let's work on something together. Be honest about it. And let's work together on trying to move forward. So, you know, I think if, you're, if you can't be honest and transparent and clear, and it comes back to intention as well. My intention is I help unlock your true potential and we do work that we're really proud of. And it doesn't matter. Like if you're, you know, maybe this is not the right job for you. Maybe there's other roles that would be better for you. That's fine. I, I will help you find a better role. I always say, you know, we've got a fantastic alumni program. Maybe you should be on that. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, so, you know, I think by being candid and honest, with good intention you can help move people towards their real strengths there's but there's loads of you know i had one lady who i worked with you know i just i knew she was i knew she was really talented but she was being really horrible to people um and she had a process approval role so there was a like formal process and she would have to review stuff and approve it and she she was clearly under a lot of stress and pressure because it was a new role for her and she was making everyone's life hell. She was like being a proper bitch, right? And everyone's coming to me like, oh, well, they hate her, they you know, hate her. And they were like commenting all sorts of things about her. I'm like, hang on, hang on calm down. Like, um, I'm pretty sure she's not a bitch. I think she's a nice person. She's just got herself in a bad situation. And I think mostly um, people can get themselves in bad situations. They're not usually bad people. There are, there are obviously some bad people. And I have a list of those people if we need, <laughs> if we need to go through They're that. the axe murderers. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, like, look, I'll go and chat to her. Let me understand what's going on. So I, chat to, I went to chat to her and I said, look, I know you're remarkably talented, but I've got to tell you that some of your behavior is making, making you look like a bit of a bitch you know, to some people. She was, and she was horrified. And suddenly she uh, opened up about stuff that was going on in her life. And, and she relaxed about her work and she became more aware of her style and you know she changed her behavior because she didn't realize that was the effect she was having yeah i had a a client once who was super constantly super stressed um you know 
and she just she made my team feel absolutely awful in public and was incredibly rude to them um, at a level which I found unacceptable and I don't agree with the idea that the customer is always right I mean if the customer is rude and offensive that is not right and you don't get the best out of my people by being offensive to them in front of your people if that's the case then let's not do the work you know that's not how we work if you want to get value for money you know we need to work together and be productive and effective and, and professional and polite straight um all for straightforward and super honest and candid um anyway so I, i'd had a lot of complaints about her behavior had a chat with her and she again no one had ever challenged her before um and i said look it's not how you get value for money out my people if you really think they're that rubbish and she used lots of other words to describe that which i won't which i won't use um if you think they're that bad then let's not do the work you know or let's review the whole scope she was horrified that they had felt so alienated uh, she hadn't really appreciated how bad her behaviour had got. Um, and she revealed to me that she was having some real issues at home. And she had a, there was a, some abusive relationship stuff going on at home. It was really horrible. She actually became a really good friend of mine. Because I don't think anyone ever tried to understand what was going on with her ever before. Um, about three days later, a couple of the team leaders called me and said, what on earth have you said to her? Cause she's like a different person. She suddenly like this amazing client, like the best client we've ever worked with, ever. And I said, no, I just, I just told her that her behavior was unacceptable. That's not how you get value for money from our people. And I tried to understand what was going on for her. And, you know, we chatted a lot about that and she's working on some issues and I'd like us to give her a bit of rope and some space to work through that. And I'm glad that things are improving. Um, so I think if you are candid and you challenge what can appear to be really bad behavior, you often find out that there's a whole story there that you were never aware of. And you can help sometimes by um, giving life to that story and trying to understand it and letting that person speak. Um, and that those moments, for me, those moments in my career have always been moments where I demonstrate my values and our firm's values. And perverse though this might sound, I quite enjoy those moments. I like to prove that what I say is true in my actions. You're and I say this. Confrontation. Yeah, I mean, I say this a lot to clients. You know, I'll talk about our values and how we work. And I said to them, look, it's the first time you've met me. I wouldn't believe that either. <laughs> I really wouldn't. If someone said that to me, I wouldn't believe them. But I'll tell you what, we'll do some work together. We will, we're guaranteed to screw something up. Everyone does. And you will see our values and what I've said will come true in my behavior and our behavior. And it does, because we always screw something up and then we fix it. Mm. Sounds like people really open up to you. Do you find that in life? Yeah, it can be a bit overwhelming. <laughs> yeah, but I think, you know, we spend so much time at work, mm. yeah, with colleagues, with clients. Sometimes it's just nice to be noticed as a human being. Mm. And if that means, you know, there's somebody there who connects with you authentically that's a really good i think also i think this is a time in in the universe if you like to be real to be authentic you know there's nothing there's nothing to be solved going forward where we've got the answers to it anymore and yet all of our education has predominantly been about having the answer to everything 
But now everything going forward is about dealing with the unknown, dealing with uncertainty, dealing with resilience, dealing with vulnerability, bringing people together to explore options, to fail, to, to explore, to move, to not perfect, but to create energy and excitement. So I feel like, you know, like now is the moment, like finally. We can be real. <laughs> we can be real, yeah. Mm, sounds good to me. Um, and you mentioned that, and like, just to understand you a bit more, that that's, that's quite a lot, everyone telling your stuff, because you're like, you know, I can see there's something going on here or whatever, and if you're having eight of those conversations on one day, just because they all happen at once, one time, how how is that? And how do you kind of look after yourself? How do you hold all of the shit <laughs> that goes on, as well as the Carefully. great stuff? Yeah, and, and, you know, how do you resource yourself? That sounds like a lot. It does, doesn't it? I think I should get some more therapy. Um, <laughs> very years of very expensive therapy. No, I think um, I think. Well, I'm. A, I would say I'm a high functioning introvert. Um, but you're right; it is exhausting, and um, you know, being real and connecting with people is exhausting, and people don't always appreciate it, um, and it's sometimes misinterpreted. Um, some people recoil. Maybe. Yeah. Find that. Yeah. So. Um, <laughs> But also some people don't really believe you, so they think there's something else going on. It's like, you know, what you really meant was, no, 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 what I meant was exactly what I, I, I mean, it really was just what I said. <laughs> it wasn't, please don't look for the hidden detail in what I'm saying. It's just that. Um, you know, and in the moment, if that's what I said, that's what I meant. I may have learned new things since then, or my opinion may have changed based on new information, but that's what I meant. I mean, I, I need my space. So my dog, Lucas, who you've met, who was snoring earlier. I don't know if that will be picked up. Um, You know, he's my chief mental health advisor. So, you know, talking to, you know, having an intelligent conversation with a dog is very important, I think, for everyone. Um, I quite like to know who doesn't like dogs so that I don't have to work with them. (laughs) Is that a good policy? (laughs) You know, so I think, you know, talking to the dog is good um, just because he agrees. And thank God he can't speak. Because he knows too much. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he can. He has to hold all of that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think you know. Um, you know, I'll go spend some time with my mum, who's like incredibly down to earth. I remember back in 2006 when I made partner. Um, I told her I made partner. She goes, "Oh, that's nice. Your dad would have been very proud of you." And then she went off about oh, her potatoes. She just her new potatoes. She just dug up from the garden. <laughs> So literally me becoming a partner in one of the biggest firms in the world um, got probably less than 30 seconds of her attention. Um, And has that been a grounding influence in your life in general? Yeah, totally. (laughs) (laughs) Because she's not bothered about all this kind of nonsense. Mm -hmm. You know, so that, you know, that's always good to take the the hot air out of the situation. You know, we, you know, yeah, sometimes we are saving lives, but mostly nobody's going to die based on something we're going to say or do. Um, increasingly I think we are doing work that that does have more of a human impact like that I think you just got to be you, you know, have some humility and you know and you've got to have fun at work and I've you know I've done work in lots of you know dodgy places around the world sort of post-conflict environments if you don't have a sense of humour when you're you know the flight's been cancelled and the three flights before one of them crashed you know like you're gonna you've got to have a sense of humour because it might be the last time you get to have a sense of humour <laughs> So I'm very conscious of that. I think, you know, life... I Also, like, I had a heart issue years ago, and I've got a pacemaker now. I'm very conscious that, you know, life can be shorter than we think. But, you know, life in itself is um, is terminal. 
you know, everyone, <laughs> you know, everyone will die. Uh, it's just a matter of time. So you might as well enjoy it. That sounds like an amazing place to end. <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to the Conscious Leaders podcast, and I'm your host, Ruth Franger, founder of Mindful Pathway. That interview was quite amazing, overlooking the sea in Paul. What a view. You may have been able to hear the seagulls in the background. If you'd like to find out more about me and episodes of the podcast, then you can visit mindfulpathway.co.uk.